0: Well, I was late for this, late for that, late for the love of my life. And when I die alone, when I die alone, when I die, I'll be on time. Does anybody know? Okay, I got a couple of chuckles. chuckles. Anybody know what that was? It's a song. Okay, a few of you know that song. It's on the radio sometimes. So if you haven't heard that song, uh, it's the lyrics of a song called Cleopatra, uh, from a band called the Lumineers. Um, and, and it's a really interesting song. Uh, it, it's, it's a little bit sad, as you maybe just heard. Um, uh, it was a song about a woman. They wrote the song uh, about a woman they met in a taxi cab. The band was, was in a taxi, and uh, they were just talking to this lady, and she, uh, fair to say, was a little bit bitter about the events of her life. And uh, so they started asking, and she was more than happy to kind of tell them uh, some of her story. Um, uh, She was uh, in her late teens, and her father passed away, and um, there was a, a, a man that she loved who asked her to marry him at her dad's funeral, timing not so good uh she was so overwhelmed in the moment she just said look i just don't know that i can give you an answer i i don't even know what to think right now kind of the world is spinning um and and the guy was humiliated and embarrassed and, and mortified it was a small town that she basically everybody knew he was going to you know propose and and he left town never to be seen again went on and and went on to live his his life uh and, and she, in her mind, thought she made a mistake in her response and lost the love of her life. And, uh, lived the rest of her life alone. This was an older woman in this taxi cab that she was describing kind of her life. Uh, and she basically says, look, I'm gonna die alone, uh, having never found love as a result of, of this bad decision that I made when I was, when I was a teenager. And, and it's, it's a powerful song, I think. That um, deals with a lot of things. But uh, I guess to me it's a song about dealing with loss. Uh, dealing with heartbreak. Um, maybe it brings up to me the question. Are we stuck in loss and pain forever? Um, can we ever find true love after heartbreak? Can we find love after heartbreak? Uh, our passage this morning is awful. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> Maybe threw that in there just just so you're aware our passage this morning is awful uh it's miserable uh, it is a passage about loss. it is a passage about devastation uh it, and the the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning is, is is how do we deal with loss and, and then and then maybe then, after that, we have to answer the question which is, where is God in the midst of loss um, so For the next several weeks, uh, we, this morning, start uh, a series where we'll be studying for the next several weeks uh, a book in the Old Testament uh, called Ruth, the book of Ruth. We're going to study that together. If you don't know anything about the book of Ruth, uh, wow, I can't wait to explore it with you. Um, It it is truly a story for the ages, um, and it's going to be amazing. It's, it's an amazing story. It's, it's, it's a powerful story. It's um, a terrible story at times. How, uh, it, it's a beautiful story. If, if you have never read Ruth, and, and even if you have before, I would encourage you uh, just to take 15, 20 minutes, that's all it takes, uh, to, read, to read this little story. It's about four chapters um, Again a, a quick fifteen twenty minute read and and you will be amazed at it um, but i think, I think if you if you 'll do that as we go forward for the next several weeks you'll you 'll get more out of out of this series. But Ruth is going to be a story about loss, about love, about family, about loyalty, about redemption. Um, disclaimer here, so if you 're a note taker, make your little star, this will not be a series about dating. Or about finding a spouse. If you're interested in that, I will put you in a different direction. This is not the book for that. Um, I will not encourage you to model the behavior of Ruth and or Boaz. Um, because the times they do stuff that's just plain weird. And a lot of that is a cultural thing. Don't do what they're going to do. Not because they're bad, but just it's because it's weird. So, again, not updating how-to book <laughs> to, to this that's the next few weeks, but um, you, you'll understand as we go forward. But above all of the, these themes, this is a story of redemption. It's, it's a story of God overwhelming his people with love and mercy. And, and so I really do hope that you will uh, uh, join us to explore this, this beautiful love story uh, and it's a beautiful love story, maybe in a different way than than you would guess uh, going forward so uh, will you pray with me as we go to the word? Father, help us this morning as we as we go uh, to your truth to to your word, to a story it's probably 3000 years old but one that is for us today just as much god would you help us to hear it would you help it uh, help this story to move our souls to move our spirits um god would you work in us in Jesus name amen so this morning Again, I told you this is a terrible uh, passage. Uh, we're only reading the first five verses, and then we're going to have to stop there because there's, there's many more weeks coming uh, to get to further into this story, but, but we're going to just look at these first five today. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The end. That's our passage for today. Um, We'll we'll get there, we'll get there, but I I told you it was terrible. Um, I want to start this series by just telling you a little bit about the the historical background, where we are in history, what in the world is going on here, uh, because the story doesn't make sense without some of it. So um, I, I I think the context will be helpful for you. So, so just kind of a quick history lesson just to refresh you uh, on, on some of this, right? Um, God's people had been in slavery in Egypt. That's the whole book of Exodus, right? At the end of the book of Genesis, they go there for a famine. There's kind of a famine theme that runs throughout the Bible, in case you're wondering. But they go there, um, and they are enslaved by the Egyptian people, and they're there 400 years-ish. Um, and so... So finally, God is going to send a redeemer. Uh, He's going to redeem his people out of slavery, and he's going to send a redeemer. What's that redeemer's name? Moses. Yeah, I heard it. Um, Moses is, is going to be sent. He's kind of this reluctant leader, but he's going to go and uh, God, through this this man, uh, is going to do incredible things. You know the the story of the plagues and all the stuff and the parting of the Red Sea. They go across, and they're out, right? God brings his people out of slavery, and and they're supposed to quickly go into the promised land, right? It's only like a month's journey of walking to get to the promised land from where they got out of Egypt. Just going to be like a month, okay? And they go, they get to the edge of the promised land, and what happens? They, they refuse to go in, right? They, they send some people out to kind of scout out the land, and a couple of them come back and say, look, this place is uh, too much for us. These people will kill us. We can't do it. And everybody panics, and they're disobedient. They won't listen to God who's told them to go in. And so he says, look, then you're going you're gonna to perish in the wilderness. This generation is not going not gonna to make it and your children will get to go to the promised land. And so they spend 40 years just walking around in the middle of the desert, uh, waiting for them to all die, basically. It's, uh, and that's what happens. And so, um, so after 40 years of wandering, they're finally told to go back in again. And it looks like they're on the right track. Moses is going to die, and he's, uh, God anoints this man uh, to take over uh, named Joshua. And um, Joshua is a great leader and he's going to lead the people into the promised land and it all starts out great, right? You guys, the battle of Jericho and the whole bit. And they're just taking over the land like they were supposed to. And then they start getting tired and they say, we're tired of fighting. Can we be done now? And, and we just want to go home and we just, um, we just want to set up our own stuff. And, and, uh, they make these promises to God that the, if they can have a rest, they'll come back and, and do what they're supposed to do. But again, they're going to be disobedient. Okay, so the book of Joshua ends with the people being disobedient. Another theme in the Bible is the disobedience of people. Um, so disobedient people. So then the next book comes up after Joshua is a, is a book called Judges. Um, and if you've read Judges, you know that it's one of the weirdest things in the world. There's all kinds of, I mean, the weirdest stories, but even some of the coolest stories in the Bible are in the book of uh, of of. Judges. You guys know Ehud, you know, the left-handed judge, right, with the little sword. Great. There's some really cool stories, but there's also some weird stuff too, right? Samson and eating honey out of a dead animal and all the weird things that happen in in Judges. They're, they're, it's weird, but it's also bad, okay? There, it is not necessarily a good book because, again, it's going to show the disobedience of the people, not following God as he's asked them to do. Um, and, and the end of the book of judges if you're familiar with it is probably the most horrible story um, I've ever heard Um, and it's such a bad story in fact I'm not going to talk about it Um, if you know the story you know why Um, it's bad and just just to summarize the end of that story basically a woman is murdered unjustly and God places the blame of that murder on all 12 tribes it says, look, her blood is on your hands. That's the easiest way I know how to describe that story. And um, so the book of Judges just ends in this terrible note, like, what in the world is happening? These were God's people, and they're, they're up to the worst things you can imagine. Um, so that's the last thing. That story is the last thing we read before we get to our book, which is the, the book of Ruth. Um, and it starts with a phrase, if you've if you have your Bibles open, verse one starts with um, "In the days when the judges ruled." It, it was in the days of when the judges ruled. It's, it's, that's how this book starts. Okay, um, and some people have described that as unlike uh, Dickens' book, right It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. like it was a phrase that was meant to describe something we We should pick up uh, we should pick up some knowledge here when, when it says in the days when the judges ruled, meaning back in the battle days, right and we're not talking about the good old days <laughs> we're talking about the battle days that's that's essentially what this phrase is back in the battle days when the people were crazy and rebellious, and were doing awful stuff. That's the time that we're talking about for the book of Ruth. Um, and, and so during this awful, rebellious, bad time where people were just doing whatever they wanted to do, um, there was a famine in Israel. Things are bad, especially in Bethlehem, uh, which the, the, the you guys know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread, right? So there's kind of this contrasting idea right in in the house of bread there's a famine how, how is that making sense this disobedient rebellious people we've got a famine going on they should be feasting in the house of bread but instead there's a famine and things are bad um, and so uh, there's there's this there's this guy named Elimelech and we don't get to know much about him other than he is uh, from Bethlehem Uh, Ironically, this guy's name, Elimelech, means my God is king. Again, fitting for the times when uh, the judges ruled and everybody did whatever. It says there is no king and everybody did as they saw fit in their own eyes. This guy's name is my God is king. Uh, And nobody lives that way in, uh, in the times of the judges. We don't really know that much about Elimelech. We don't know if he lived like his name was true or not. Uh, we don't know if he was a, a, an awful man or a disobedient man. The, the, the scholars are actually kind of torn about this, this concept uh, of whether Elimelech and Naomi, that would be uh, the, the, the husband and wife, whether or not they had been in sin by leaving Bethlehem. Uh, but they think they might have been in sin by going to Moab of all places. Moab was like the place they weren't supposed to go. It was a pretty rough place. And uh, so to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Moab seems to be a questionable decision on their part. Um, but scholars aren't totally sure. They think maybe this was just the necessary move. Like they heard that there was rain and crops and you could, you know, your livestock could survive over there. And so they just went. But what scholars do agree on is, is that the point of the story is not whether or not Elimelech and Naomi are in sin or not. There, there, there's, there's no sense of that in this passage. That's not the point. Um, so, so this is n- none of what we are seeing in the first five, five verses are a punishment to Naomi, okay? And so we need to make sure we, we get that. There's, there's no understanding of that. There's no mention of that. And, and scholars just think that's not on the table of this, that Naomi's tr- being punished for, for some bad decisions, And so, so as we get to the, 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 the kind of the dilemma of the story here in these first five, five verses, this is an important place to just kind of stop. And, and I want to just reiterate that to you. God is not punishing Naomi. Because see, more than likely, um, again, context, more than likely in these days, Naomi didn't have much of a choice as to where their family was going to live or not. Um. She didn't have much of a voice about the kind of women that her sons were going to marry. That, that was not up to her. Uh, in this culture, she, she didn't have that kind of voice. She didn't have a vote in this. So this doesn't, uh, there's, there's no indication that there's any kind of, Naomi was in the wrong here. Naomi did, did a bad thing. But I do want to make a, just another quick note here. This book is incredibly rare in ancient times. You don't really find anywhere a story like this from this long ago about a woman. Period. And much less a woman who is going to be a hero. Um, They they didn't talk about women and their situations. The the suffering of women, what what the life of a woman would have looked like. They're going to talk much about that in ancient times. So, So for this story to be in Scripture tells us a lot tells us that God wants us to hear this story for several reasons. Her suffering is mentioned. Her choices, her life, it matters to God. That would have been earth-shattering in that cultural context for for us to hear that God cared about this widow, about this woman. And so as as we're going to see, for God to declare his mercy and favor in redeeming her life This is unheard of. This is just crazy, rare stuff. But it's beautiful. For a woman to be a hero and a main character in a biblical story of, of any kind, God is up to something here. So as we reflect again on loss, understand that Naomi in many ways is is living out our own stories. We are all Naomi at some level. We are all Orpah. Don't say Oprah. You're going to read it in the book and go, Oprah, it's, it's Orpah. We are all Orpah. We are all Ruth at some level. People experiencing terrible loss. And so, so again, God's not punishing Naomi. You and I, just like her, can experience soul-crushing loss. And it's not always to be considered punishment from God. The hurt, the pains that we experience, they're, they're life sometimes. You see, you and I live in the days of the judges, where everyone does as they see fit in their own eyes right would you define our culture that way do you is one of the major themes of the last 10 or 20 years in our culture you do you which if you don't know what that means it just means you do the thing that seems right to you it doesn't matter nobody gets to tell you what you can and can't do you do you that is the culture that we live in that is the exact description of the times of the judges And this world that you and I live in right now is full of brokenness, full of broken lives crashing into each other. It's a, it's a world full of loss that hurts more than words can express at times. We, we live in a world of sin and pain and death, and that's all you and I seem to hear about anymore. We live in a world where spouses get sick and die. We live in a world where parents have to bury children. We live in a world of widows and orphans. And this is not theoretical stuff. We are a room full of this. I I, I know who I'm talking to. So a room full of you. we are in a world where we look around and ask, is there any hope in all of this pain and in all of this loss? Is there any hope? And this is gonna be the question of Ruth. Will and I talk all the time, all the time. Man, I, I wish that we could be health and wealth pastors. Man, wow, why couldn't we have been Health and Wealth pastors? I sure do wish that I could read the Bible and come to the conclusion that we, if we just gave more money to the church and that if we just had more faith, that we would never get sick and that we would never experience loss. And that would be the advice that I could just preach to you every Sunday. Hey, do you have more faith? Have you given enough? And if so, good job. You'll be okay. Don't worry about anything. I just wish that I could be up here and preach that our bank accounts will be too big to know what to do with. Will and I would have the easiest jobs in the world. I'm telling you, this would be the best. It'd be more lucrative too, right? See, I could convince you guys to buy me a jet like other people uh, in, in this uh, tradition have, right? If you'll just have more, step out on faith and write a bigger check so I can buy a jet. God is gonna bless your checkbook even more. And everything that happens to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, it's going to be perfect based on you just writing a bigger check for me. Man, I sure wish I could do that because life would be easier for all of us. But unfortunately, I just don't see it in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is broken people living in a broken world. In a world where we are desperately waiting for a Redeemer to come and save us out of this mess and we're yelling at the top of our lungs, how long, how long? And As I read, I see character after character in the Bible asking, God, are you against me? God, do you care? God, can you even help? Just read the Bible and they're in there. We're studying the book of Ruth together because we're going to get an answer. Ruth was written because the author of it, uh, who's you know a couple hundred years removed from the story, knows the end of this tale. And they're saying, "Guys, I've got an amazing story for y'all—one of hope, one of love—but we've got to go way, way, way back." to fully appreciate that hope and love. We've got to go way back. And and if the author had written us a prologue or introduction, he might have said, okay guys, look, God has weaved a beautiful story, but you have to start in the ashes. And because I know the end of the story, I can tell you guys that I have hope. Just hang in there. I can tell you to have hope. Just Follow along in this story. I'm telling you, just hang in there. And I can tell you as the author of this thing that that even though this woman has lost her husband and she's lost her two sons and she's as desperate and hopeless as humans get on this planet, God isn't done. And, And Naomi can't see it but, I, but I'm a couple of centuries on the other side of the story and I can tell you something is coming. So this, this morning, let me give you a prologue to the study of this sermon series, to the study of Ruth. You see, the end of our story has been written too. It's, it's in here The end of our story has been written already. And you and and I may be sitting in the ashes of despair and loss today. God may feel like he's so far away from us. It may look like all around us that evil is prevailing. But there is a redeemer. Redeemer. And, 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 the, and the prologue for this morning is that he is coming. Like we read in Galatians, there's this Savior, Jesus, who has redeemed us from slavery and death. We were like Naomi in the most desperate of situations and Jesus is gonna come and be the Redeemer. This is our prologue for this morning. Even in our loss In our brokenness, when we can't see it, God is weaving together a beautiful story of love and redemption. There's so much more to come, but I'll just tell you, don't give up. Redemption is coming. Let's pray.